Amen. Well, I tell you, that song that we just sang, it's too good to not believe. He's too good to not believe. Sometimes we get into this world and we look out there and every time you turn the news on, it's like there's more bad news. It's like there's more heavy news. And listen, today, I don't think I can just jump into today's message without acknowledging the heaviness that's going on in our world right now. And I don't want to just acknowledge it. I want to acknowledge it and then take it to the Father. I mean, right now, as we're meeting, Hurricane Ida is hitting the shores of our nation in New Orleans. Uh, Crazy enough, Katrina hit on this day uh, however many years ago. And now Ida could be as large as that, hitting the shores of New Orleans. Listen, we have people, you may have friends and family there. Uh, we, we want to pray for our nation. We want to pray for the nations of the world as we've seen what's happening in Afghanistan. And we know that we're just days away from people that are believers, that are followers of Christ, ever ever having the chance of getting free uh, from that nation. And again, that's just the heaviness of that and the pandemic. There's so much out there. We may not agree on the solutions and we may not agree on who to blame, but can we agree on what the solution that God has got to be a part of that? Can I get an amen with that somewhere in there? Even if you don't agree, let's agree on Jesus and and the fact that he can step into that situation and let's just intercede right now for our nation, for the people around us. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you and we acknowledge the pain. We acknowledge the confusion. We acknowledge the chaos. We we acknowledge that there's a natural disaster hitting our land in which we have no control over. It's just happening. And Father, there are things happening on other sides of the world and there's 228 believers that are in in jail for being a Christian in Afghanistan. They may never see life outside again. And the only crime they committed was giving themselves to you. Father, I cannot just go on and not stop and pray for the people that are hurting, for our medical people that are serving, that for the, those that are sick and those that we know that are family members that literally are struggling to breathe. So, Father, we sit here in the comfort of an air-conditioned building. And, Lord, we cannot just go on without pausing. Saying, we need you. We need you in this situations that I've mentioned and many, many more, Lord. And even the individual situations of our own hearts and our own souls and our own lives right here and now. Lord, would you be so very present here and now? And all God's people said, Amen. Wow. Again, sorry to start in a heavy tone, but I just literally have been awake since two o'clock. So that may be a little bit of maybe sleepwalking right now. And it's been with the heaviness of so much that's going on in this world. To be honest with you, I've almost run out of emotional capacity to give empathy. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's called compassion fatigue. We literally, you see one disaster after another. I mean, a few weeks ago, uh, an earthquake hit uh, hit Haiti, and it's like I just didn't even bat an eye. It's like I find myself at times just exhausted emotionally that I have nothing left to give, and that's a dangerous place to be. You don't want to continue there. 
You want to find that compassion again in your soul where you can pour out and be there for somebody. And I know I've just talked about some macro things, some big things on a global scale, but I also realize in a room this size that some of the micro scale, some of y'all are dealing with some, somebody in our last service literally had to, listen to this, had to choose between being here for their granddaughter's baptism because their mother right now is in hospice care and they didn't know if, the, if the, she would make it till the end of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of that service time. So do I be here or am I here? That's how real pain is. And that's how sometimes we cannot navigate it and sometimes it overwhelms us. And so how do we navigate the pain, the chaos, the confusion, the betrayal, the accusations that may come our way? Because whenever I mention those things right there, I'm mentioning somebody in Scripture in the life of Joseph. And what can we look at our lives and our pains and our chaos and our confusion and our betrayal and our accusations that we might be going through? How do we, how do we navigate that on, on, on our own scale? Because there's, again, have you ever tried to control chaos? Chaos is chaos. The mere fact it's like you can't control chaos. It won't be chaos anymore. It's like it's there and it's like I can't control it. I can't get my arms around it. It's like wrestling smoke. It's like it's there, but it's, I, can't, I can't do anything with it. Here's the, here's the thing. And this will be some assurance for you, some hope for you, hopefully. There's just some things you can't control. And you got to go, okay, I can't control it. But there are some things you can't control. And what you can control, you don't want to lose control over you want to maintain as tight a grip on that, as close of hands on that as you possibly can. And that being your character. Because whenever the storms of life come, whenever the pain comes, whenever the confusion comes, whenever the chaos comes, when there may not be anything secure out there, but your character, don't lose grip of that. Whenever you look at the life of Joseph, as we've been talking about just now for two weeks, you see a man who, before his 18th birthday, he has experienced more than a lifetime of pain. He had experienced it from his own family members, of which you would think that the family should be safe, the family should be the, the safest place to be. But it's this is the laundry list of 11 things that he experienced. And I tell you, you might look up there and go, okay, I've experienced that one and that one and that one. But maybe you haven't experienced any of them, but the empathy that we need to have for those who have. Or maybe you're going to experience some form of that. The last three are the one that just... I get to those last three and I go, wow. That happens. That happens to this day. It happens in this world, in this day, in this hour in which we're living as we're talking about the pains. Because some of the pains that we're talking about maybe happen when you were a kid and in the distance past or maybe it's happened in the present. And it's right now happening up on you and it's, and it's falling upon you. But in a few weeks, we're going to have with us uh, some missionaries from Greece, some Athens, Greece, that will be here. And they will share about a new ministry that's launching, that's working in, inside of Athens, Greece to work with people who are trafficked. And that we get to be on the ground floor of helping that ministry get up off the ground. But if you know the story, and again, we talked about it last week, so be finding chapter 37 of Genesis. Whenever Joseph is sold, trafficked into slavery, 
He is trafficked for, it, it records in scriptures, 20 shekels of silver. That means nothing to you and me, except I converted it. And six shekels, uh, 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 excuse me, six dollars to every silver shekel. Okay, that's a mouthful, okay? Uh, and so $120 is what he was sold for. Here's a man, 17 years of age, vulnerable, in a vulnerable position with people that are supposed to be safe people. And they're the ones who trade him for $120. Basically, he becomes a person. He goes from being a person to a commodity to be traded. And that's exactly how it happens in people's lives today. And in verse 36 of chapter 37 is where it kind of ends that chapter. It says, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to an Egypt. So he was sold by his brothers for 120 shekels of silver, sold to the Midianites or the Ishmaelites. And then the Midianites turn around and sell him to the Egyptian, an Egyptian named Potiphar. An officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, we don't know what the captain of the guard means. It could mean anything from his, uh, his guards at, at the palace or guards in the jail. Or it could mean the entire Egyptian army chief of staff kind of person. So this is somebody who has influence. This is somebody who's trusted. This is somebody that's keeping watch over the Egyptian army or the, or, or, or the security in the land. And that's who he sold to. We don't know how much this Egyptian Potiphar bought him for. Obviously going to be more than 120 shekels. But he, he buys him and now he becomes a servant of him. And what I want us to see in this, in this, in this picture is kind of how it plays out. Now go to chapter 39. We're skipping all the way over chapter 38. It's like a parenthetical story within a story. We're not going to deal with it. I'll let you deal with that on your own and be blessed when you read it. It's, it's, it's a story unto itself. But you'll notice where it ends in chapter uh, 37, it picks up in chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been brought, had been brought down to Egypt to Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, to the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, and had bought him from the Ishmaelites, had bought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph and he became successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. That's how the story goes. He goes from being this innocent child of 17 to being a traded commodity. And here's what I'm going to say. He is going to experience all of this pain, all of this injustice, betrayal, chaos, confusion, accusations. He's going to experience all of this and he brings none of it on himself. It's not something that he did to create it. It's something that happens to him. Now, how in the world is he going to make it through this? Because we're going to see a side of Joseph today that I would hope would be described of me. If you want to think about it like this, we're going to see his character, and his character is solid. He doesn't let go of his character, even though the rest of the world around him is falling apart. He holds tightly to his character. He models for us what character is. If you want to take a a, a drawing and just draw a, a big X across a page, and you might think about it like this, in that there's your character is made up of two primary components. One is your convictions, what you believe. What you believe, what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, what your values are, what your morals, what your ethics are, how do you get your morals and ethics, that's what you believe, okay? Now, belief is not enough. 
It's also what you do. It's how you conduct your life. It's, it's, it's the actions of your life. So where those two intersect, it's at that point that you see character. Where my beliefs and my conduct line up. And when those meet together in the middle, that is your character. That's what forms your character. That's what forms your values. That's what says, I'm not going to do this because I believe this. Or I'm going to do this because I believe this. And my character and my actions line up. If we don't ever line up, if those characters and actions line up, we call it an incongruent life. It's not lining up. We call it a hypocritical life. We call it somebody who has a lack of character about them. So you can see, again, character is incredibly important. You might not be, listen, you might not be able to control the world around you, but you can't control your character. Nobody can steal your character. Your character is your character, and it's yours to honor and to keep and to hold and to value and to protect or to neglect fall apart and fall into the hands of the enemy and let the results be as they will. No matter the pain, no matter the betrayal. So here's what I want us to learn from Joseph today. How is it that we go through the unjust brokenness, confusion, chaos, betrayal of life, accusations of life? How do we go through that and maintain our character? And what you're going to see here is you're going to see his character kind of fleshed out. Three values that character reveals, okay? Number one, Character is trusted. You can trust character. All right? To the level of their character and the level of your trust, they're going to go hand in hand. And you're going to find that with him. Remember, who is Joseph? He is a commodity that's been traded. He appeared on the doorstep of Potiphar's house, and he becomes a servant in Potiphar's house. But there's something that happens in Potiphar's mind when he sees When he sees Joseph living his life, he says, I like it. I want more of it. I'm going to trust him with more. I'm going to give him more. Let's begin reading in verse 2 again. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. His master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him. And... The Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. He's going to see two things. We'll come back to those in just a moment. So what does Potiphar do in response to that? Verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him. And he made him overseer of his house. And he put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's home. House. For Joseph's sake, underscore that last two words, for Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field so that he left all that he had to Joseph's charge. Joseph, my hands are off of it. You're in charge of it. You're the man. There's something about you that's different. I think I know what it is, and I'm trusting it. I'm leaning into uh, uh, to it. So he left all that he had to Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern. That's the word trusting. He's trusting him. No concern about anything but the food that he ate. So basically, he trusted him with every single thing, every single possession, every single 
piece of furniture, every, 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 everything was trusted to Joseph. Don't let character slip away. He had character, and because of his character, he was trustworthy. Notice this, it says he became a successful man. He was blessed. Uh, he, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had. And again, in verse 4, it says that he gave him charge over everything. Now, why is it that he gave? Listen, think about this. Why did he give a foreigner from a foreign land a Hebrew when he's an Egyptian? By the way, the Hebrews were considered second-class citizens to the Egyptians. Why in the world would Potiphar trust everything to a second-class person slave that's living in his house? Unless there's something different about him. In fact, there was so much more different about Joseph that he wanted to trust a Hebrew slave than rather than to trust his own Egyptians in any Egyptian around him. That's a big thing. Don't just slide past that. That's a very big thing. And here's the big why. The big why of the trust is in verse 3. And I pointed it out. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused all that he had to succeed in his hands. Now don't miss this part. When you think about, when you look at the life of Joseph, there's two things that stood out in the eyes of Potiphar that made him trustworthy in the eyes of Potiphar. Even though he's a foreigner, even though he shouldn't have trusted him, he should have trusted his own people, his own tribe, his own nationality. But he instead he trusted this Hebrew slave. Why? Because of his being. He was a God-saturated person. And he could see it. He could see it. Don't miss that phrase in verse 4. It says this, or in verse 3, it says, The master saw that the Lord was with him. Now, again, in a quick, fast speed read over that, you'd say, okay, that's cool. No, no, no. You gotta remember the Egyptians worshiped the god Ra. You'd spell it R-A. That's it. Ra. In fact, Potiphar's name means that he was a gift of Ra. So even his parents, Potiphar's parents, raised him to believe that Ra made you exist. But what does this raw worshiping Egyptian say about Joseph? He said, the Lord Yahweh. That's not Ra. He's calling on now, he's calling now on the Hebrew God. He's saying, I see your God is with him. The most high God, the El Shaddai God, the, the most, the, 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 the infinite God, the God that you bring in. I want more of that God. He was saturated with God. He could see him. He couldn't, he couldn't miss him. He couldn't dispute him. And here's just a factoid for you. Do you know the only person in scripture, in the book of Genesis, I should say, that is said to be spirit-filled is Joseph. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 38, it says, And Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the Spirit of God. 
Not only did Potiphar see God in him, see the God that saturated him, but also even the lost Pharaoh, king of all of Egypt, saw that. Here's what I wonder. I have people that are far from God. You know people far from God. Do they see God or do they see Mike? Do they, do they see there's something different about me? Something different the way I do life? Something different the way I value? Something different about the way I conduct myself? Something different the way I, that I talk to people? Something different? Do they see anything different or do I just blend in? See, there was something about Joseph that he stood out and it was that God was saturating him. It was his very being, but it was also his doing. He said, the Lord caused all that he did, his doing, to succeed in his hands. I love it whenever you think about what does it mean to be saturated with God's spirit. It comes out. People see it. People want more of it. People want to know the God that I have. They want, to, they want, they want the blessings of the God that I have. And they should be able to look at my life and say, there is greater love with Mike. There's greater patience with Mike. There's greater kindness with Mike. There's greater gentleness with Mike. There's greater patience with Mike. Where does all that come from? Because this fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And those are the fruits that should come out of Mike McDaniel. There's something ought to be about me and something ought to be about us that when the world looks at us, they see it differently. They see life differently. They see faith differently. We're just more trustworthy. That's what character is. But character is also tested. Tested. I, I, I have a verse that since we've been doing the Genesis study, a verse that just kind of keeps coming back to me again and again. And sometimes it slaps me after I've fallen and sometimes it warns me before I fall. And it's in, back in Genesis chapter 4. You have to go back to January to listen to the message on it. But Genu- in, in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 it says that sin is crouching at your door. It's just outside the door. Its desire is for you and I, you and I, we must rule over it. See, we've got to wake up every morning. We've got to realize that every morning our character is going to be put to the test. Our values are going to be put to the test. Our beliefs are going to be put to the test. Our conduct is going to be put to the test. Really, who we are is going to be put to the test. And we've got to realize it. We've got to realize it. We've got to realize it because sin is like a snake crouching at the door. Just in front of you, walk out with your guard down. And on that day, he's going to strike. See, Satan is incredibly patient. He's incredibly patient. It's the way the message paraphrases it. It says, Sin is lying, wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. Whenever you look at the scriptures, and if you were to say, Mike, study, let's study temptations in the Bible. Let's study sin crouching at the door in the Bible. If I was to take all of the Bible, all of the books of the Bible from Genesis to to Revelation, I was to say, okay, we're going to study temptation. 
Outside of the temptations of Jesus whenever he is in the wilderness for 40 days and being tempted by Satan for three times, there is so much practical wisdom in that and spiritual wisdom in that that you learn how to fight against temptation. But the second most comprehensive passage in the scriptures is when Potiphar is tempted by, excuse me, when Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife. And when I read this story, I'm going to read it to you quickly, but you cannot miss it. I want you to get the nuances of it because we're going to learn practical ways and spiritual ways to fight temptation. And you got to have both. It's not just mind over matter. I'm going to grit and fight against the devil. and He's not going to win. Neither is it spiritual, but I'm going to, I'm not going to put any practical steps in place because here's what happens with temptation. It's really simple. You have your beliefs and your beliefs are set. And your conduct is in line. And right in the middle is character. Isn't that a beautiful day when that, when you establish your beliefs and your conduct? And then all of a sudden an opportunity shows up. And that opportunity shows up and it comes knocking. It comes crouching at the door, really. And it's going to get you and it's going to get me. And it's why the alcoholic struggles to go back into alcoholism. It's why the pornography struggles to go back. It's why the person who struggles with anger goes back again and again because opportunity shows itself. And we didn't wrestle it down. We didn't deal with it spiritually. We didn't deal with it practically. And it captures us and it controls us. So now let's pick up the story in verse 6. When you look at the life of Joseph, you cannot miss verse 6. It almost should be the beginning of verse 7, but it says, Now Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance. He was the Tom Brady of Egypt, in my opinion. I have a man crush on Tom Brady. So when I look at Joseph, he was handsome in form and appearance. And then it goes on. Then the story gets really heated, steamy windows and uh, after that, verse 7, it says, And after the time the master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. She saw that hunk of goodness on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Invite. Two Hebrew words there. It's all it is. It's just come. Simple invitation. Open invitation. What does he do? Very practically, he refuses. Okay? Not easy to do. When you have a woman on the other side saying, hey, come, open invitation. Here it is. Goes on. He refused. And he said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master has uh, no concern about anything in his house and he has put everything that he has put in charge, uh, in my charge, and he is not greater than the, uh, uh, he is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything uh, from me except you. And so basically he said, listen, I'm not going to break trust with my, with my boss. I value my boss. So he's going to value his own desires, his own fleshly desires, or is he going to value the, 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 the character and the, and the value of his relationship with his boss? Now, now here's, here's where God comes in. And if God's not a part of your solution, then, it's, then I, I say you have a weak battle strategy. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Wait, wait, wait. Who brought God into this occasion? 
It's just you and me, baby. We can go do this. Opportunity knocks. It's just you and me. And he brings in his master. And the trust's built up. And he brings in God. And let me just say this to you. We're going to talk more about this after this series, but I, I'll save it for that. If your sexual expression does not rest underneath the authority of God, you have a bad sexual expression. I don't care if it's attraction. I don't care if it's action. I don't care if it's opportunity. I don't care if we're just two consenting adults. If God is not a part of the equation of whether I should or should not do this, then I have a faulty biblical view on sexuality. So just bring God into that conversation. I know it's very unromantic to think about that for a moment, but let it be there because it needs to be a part of the conversation. He says, I'm not going to give in because I don't want to get sucked in because I believe that that would sin against God. And he spoke to Joseph. She spoke to Joseph day after day after day. It was an, a non-ending conversation. It was a non-ending temptation. And then, guess what happens in the next verse? But one day. When he went out of the house, or he went into the house to do the work, none of the men in the house were there in the house. That's a vulnerable situation. She caught him. Now she's getting aggressive. I know we think about the man being the aggressor. In this situation, the female is the aggressor. And she grabs a hold of his garment. By the way, she is in the seat of authority. Let's talk about the Me Too movement. She's in the seat of authority. So now she's subjecting him to what, 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 what she wants. Lie with me. No longer are we requesting it. Now we're telling it. Now we're dictating it. But he left his garments in her hand, and he fled. And he got out of the house. As soon as he saw, he left the garments, and I'm, I'm going to stop here in the, in the fact that he goes on, and she now turns the tides and accuses him of coming after her. Calls him a Hebrew. Literally, that is used in a racial undertone. She's a xenophobic now. She's now calling him a name. He's a Hebrew. Says it twice, two different times in this passage. Here's the practical, Okay? No means no. I don't care where you are, no means no. He said no, he meant no, his no was no, and it didn't need to be no with a qualifier. Here's what you do. I can remember as a teenager, I had to decide before I went on the date that I wasn't going to go there. You have to decide before the date ever starts... No, these are the boundaries. This is not going to cross those boundaries. Otherwise, all of a sudden, it gets blurred when you're in the heat of the moment. No means no. Number two, run means now. Notice this. He refused. She persisted. She throws herself at him. And then now what does he do? He can't do anything but run. Get out of there. Get to a safe place. I know that this seems so strange to even be thinking about this. But... What we have got to understand is that my attractions do not dictate my sexuality. God does. And if my sexuality is an offense to God, then I need to bring my sexuality back into line with God. 
And how do you do it? You've got to run away from it from time. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, run from sexual sin. 2 Timothy chapter 2, flee youthful passions. And where do you run? You run towards righteousness. Pursue that. So how am I going to grapple with my character? I can succumb to it because I'm going to be tested. It's going to, my character is going to be trusted. It's going to be tested. Is your character trustworthy is the first question. Second question is, will my character pass the test? The third one, I want to close with this, is character is consistent. Character does not change with culture. Character does not change with opportunities. Character is consistent throughout. Whenever you look at this passage and you look at it closely, where does the story begin? It begins with Joseph in a palace. What you'll see next is Joseph ends up in a prison. I want us to go down to verse 19. As soon as his master heard that the words of his wife had spoke to him, so she gives her side of the story, he has to do something. This is the way your servant has treated me. And anger was kindled. Now, we don't know if his anger is at his wife because he didn't believe her or his anger is at, his, at, at, at Joseph. He just says he's angry. And Joseph, the master, took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now, I, I've got to point this out. When I'm talking about the pain of life, Joseph did everything right. But he was not treated right. This world does not promise us justice. This world may give us injustice. What's your character going to do? Your family may give you injustice. What's your character? Only thing you got your character. It's the only thing you can hold on to. It may be the only thing that gets you through it. It's going, to be, it's going to be what's going to be trustworthy about you. It's going to be what's going to be tested about you. But I pray to God that it will be consistent through and through. Whether you are in a penthouse or you are in a palace or you are in a prison or you are in a pit. Look at these two last verses. This is how the chapter in, begins. And then look at how the chapter ends. And this is the real message of this chapter. How does it begin? He begins in the palace. The Lord was with him. He caused him to succeed. Joseph found favor in the sight of uh, Potiphar. He made him overseer. He put him in charge. He's living in the palace. Notice where he's at now. He's in the prison. Notice the consistency of God. Notice the consistency of his character. The Lord was with Joseph. He gave him favor in the sight of the, of the keeper in the prison, not, not of Potiphar. Joseph was put in charge, and the Lord made him succeed. Parallel passage to totally different circumstances. I don't know if you feel like you're in a palace or you're in a pit. I don't feel like I don't know if you're in a in, in the penthouse or the doghouse of life. But here's what I want to challenge you: is hold on to your character, because when this world is is, is changing and flexing with time and in so many ways. The only thing you have is your character. 
and the fact that God is consistent with you as well. We've talked about Joseph's story. We've talked about his prosperity he was born into. We've talked about the pit that he ended up into. We've talked about the palace that he's in today. We've talked about the prison that he ends his life, or that we're at at this junction of his story. It doesn't end there. You see this up and down, up and down, up and down, but what you see consistent through all of that, and that's maybe what is the most important thing about our line of life. If you were here last week, we talked about that line is it's not only the story of our life, it's the story of God's consistency. It's the story of His character, of His working in our life. I want to end the message with very, very, very practical calls to action today, okay? So listen very carefully. Calls to action. What are you to do? What we've done is we've tried to create resources for you. Different resources at different junctures of everyone's life. We have a site, uh, we have a page on our, on our website and you can go to it by break free, uh, nine, seven, triple zero. Just text that in and you'll get to it. It'll come back to you. And that's how you can find out about these, these resources. They're all there. We're putting everything and anything else that we do add to it. Because here's what I realized. Please hear me. Breaking free will not happen because you're here for 30 minutes a Sunday. This only gets the conversation started. You're going to break free from the pain of the past that's paralyzed you in the present because you will have continued the conversation on at home, in groups, in your own conversations with with the Lord. One of the things that we're trying to do, that we're hoping to allow opportunities for you to have, is to be a part of a new study that we're going to do over a course of several weeks called Churches That Heal. Dr. Henry Cloud, my most respected Christian counselor's has created some curriculum that talks just about this because there's a lot of hurt people in our churches. And we don't know where to go with it. We just kind of plastic plaster over it. We want to have conversations. Great things can happen in rows, but the best things happen in circles. We have five groups that are launching right now just for this series that you can go and learn about out in the gallery today. Okay, that's how we're trying to make it as simple as possible. You can go to the site online. You can find a group that meets with you, meets best for you. Or you can say, hey, I want to be a part of a new group for a short period of time, seven weeks, let's say, and let's dive in this together. Everyone's a stranger in that group, but let's get in there and let's figure out how to be whole. The second thing, and Dave Penner sitting right down here came to me with a, with a passion to start a prayer ministry. We get a lot of prayer requests every multiple pages of prayer requests that we get every week. We need help praying. (laughs) We believe that prayer is going to break through in some people's lives. We believe that prayer may be the key to breakthrough in people's lives. And if you want to be a part of a prayer team, then all you have to do is sign up and be a part of that. You're going to get information from that. It's not just for this season. It's not just for right now. We want to be prayer partners for our community, for our church, for the world. Dave's going to be leading that up. I'm going to give you one more, and it starts on Wednesday. Very important. If you have the YouVersion app, I want to invite you to be a part of a Bible study that will, anybody who signs up can be a part of it. It's on the YouVersion app. Again, there's a link to it on our page. You can go to it and sign up for it and be a part of it. It starts on Wednesday, September the 1st. And it's 40 days of us talking about forgiveness. Because if there's anything that Joseph is going to have to work through, and we're going to deal with that in the weeks ahead, Joseph is going to have to work through forgiveness. How does he live 
in forgiveness and not in the bondage of anger and resentment and revenge. We're going to talk about that. But let's let the Word of God speak to us. And so for 40 days, there's going to be different passages of Scripture. And if you sign up, here's the cool thing. I'm going to be on that Bible study. I'm going to be writing in the comments section things that God taught me today. You write in the comments section things that God taught you. If you got questions, you write in that. And we can have an interactive Bible study, all of us together, every day for 40 days on forgiveness. Because here's the thing I know about forgiveness. I don't know everything about forgiveness, but I do know this. I need forgiveness from people. I hurt people. I need forgiveness. Here's one thing I know about my heart. I need to forgive people. It's not just that I need forgiveness. I need to forgive people. There's people that I say I've forgiven and I've wiped it clean out of my mind until it comes back again. And it generates an emotion inside of me that overwhelms me. I need to learn forgiveness. But here's another thing. Sometimes we need to learn that God forgives us. And maybe we need to forgive us when we walk in the forgiveness of God. Everything about forgiveness for the next 40 days, starting on September 1st. Here's, here's the challenge. Those are calls to action. I want you to be a part of the healing process of breaking free. And it's not going to just happen in this room. It's going to start with prayer. It's going to start with the Word of God. And it's going to be in circles with other people who are wanting healing. I want to pray for us, and then you're going to be released to go find a group, to maybe just sit where you're at and complete filling out some of those forms to sign up for the Bible, whatever. This is your space and your time. Father God, we bow before you because we need you. I need your forgiveness. I need to forgive others. I need others to forgive me. Lord, I have hurt people I have done injustice on people. People have done injustice on me. And I need to forgive them. And Father, I pray that I can walk free. I pray that the people in this room, the people that maybe listen to this podcast, will be able to walk free of the pains, of the confusion, of the chaos, of the betrayal, and of the accusations that hurt us all. Lord, give us freedom in Christ. For when the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. So would you put us all on a healing journey today? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lift sent.